Welcome, Goyles and Ghouls, to another episode of the Mystic Mitten Radio Show. I'm your ghost host and local Shiksa witch, Hillary Stone, and as always, I'm joined by my co-ghost hostess with the mostest, Jessica Crutell. Today, we're going to be talking about unsolved mysteries of the mitten. The Mystic Mitten Radio Show is intended for audiences 18 and older, so beware of scares and swears ahead. So, Unsolved Mysteries is making a comeback on Netflix. Have you watched any of it? You know, I haven't yet, shockingly. I feel like that would be a really useful thing to just kind of, like, turn off the real world and sit back and just, like, watch some some good television, which is hard to find these days. So I, I should definitely check it out. I remember I loved that show so much when I was a kid. I remember the introduction and everything. It was because my mom watched it all the time. She watched that and Antiques Roadshow <laughs> and, like, Flea Market Flip. <laughs> Oh, and Trading Spaces. So, like, I grew up on all of that. And that was, like, the only thing that was ever on our television were those shows. So I, I remember very, very well watching that show and that series when I, when I was younger. So I'm excited that it's making a comeback. And I'm really interested to see, you know, what uh, sort of things that they kept based off of the original, you know, like common themes or whatever. I'm a very nostalgic person. So I'm like, are they going to use the same introduction? Like, is it going to be the same text, the same music? Probably not, but like I can hope for it. (laughs) Speaking of Antiques Roadshow, I've been watching a shit ton of Antiques Roadshow. And like, not that that's making like a comeback (laughs) culturally. It's just making a comeback in my own personal life. Exactly. I love that, man. I was watching one the other day. This guy had this sword, and he was like, this is this antique sword from the... Oh, scratch that. Here's the best one. This was the (laughs) best one I've ever seen. Oh, my God. So, sword aside, I just love the ones where people, like, they get on there, and they think they have something that's, like, really valuable, and they, like, talk it up really big. And then they're like, this is worth $2. And it's, like, just the look on the... I'm like, owned. Oh, they fucking got you. That geek got you. So there was this lady who sat down and she had these like glasses, right? And they were in this like metal glasses container. And she's like, these spectacles belong to Benjamin Franklin. And they were from the 1700s. And I know this because my grandmother uh, bought these or had them or something. And it was this whole like hogwash tail she's like it's got a it, i had a certificate of authenticity or something but it's gone or whatever and the guy's like um so this like is constructed like the early 1900s and like this is also oh, it was all from like God. the 1920s so it's like either your grandma's a fucking liar which yeah you know or you're a fucking liar and in that case <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i don't know i just thought it was funny as i continue to tell but it i'm like no one like Good. <laughs> How many times have, like, you know, our elders been like, oh, you know, like, this belonged to so-and-so, or this was a buried treasure, and I found it washed up on a beach. Like, I feel like that right. when you're kids, they just amplify everything, just kind of make it more magical, which isn't their fault. They're just trying to be good grandparents, but... You're fucking liars. I'm sure there's a thousand things that, you know, I can think back and be like, oh, I wonder, you know, my grandma told me that. Is that true? <laughs> Is that like how everybody in the South says that they're related to like Robert E. Lee? Yeah, everybody. I mean, and maybe that's true, but that's a whole sociopolitical thing that I'm not going to get into right now. So uh, anyway, (laughs) (laughs) Unsolved Mysteries of the Mitten. So I have curated a list of my four favorites. I hate to say that. See, that's the thing. When you sit down and watch these shows, it's like drama that doesn't have anything to do with you. Like it's not touching me. It's like I can ogle it like a... car crash or something but um so we have four 
mysteries to go through today. And um, the first of which, um, I guess I'm excited to talk about because uh, our friend Rusty Jones brought it up on Facebook the other day too when we, we posted about Michigan's Unsolved Mysteries. And he commented that the article we posted didn't have this one. And this one is the famous Crouch family murders. So in Jackson, this is kind of like a two-part thing here because there's like a haunting and then there's the unsolved mystery. So first we'll kind of start with the unsolved mystery. So the Crouch family lived in Jackson and the story and the murder happens, takes place on a dark and stormy night. So just put yourself there, right? So high winds and a rare thunderstorm rage outside and it's midnight, November 22nd, 1883. And all of a sudden, we hear gunshots. Okay, this, I'm not going to do this drama thing. This is not the format that I'm going to continue with here. But just go there with me for a second. So, <laughs> here we go. Let me tell you the story of Jacob Crouch, who is the patriarch of the Crouch family. So, Jacob Crouch arrived in Jackson County from New York State in 1830 and settled on a Horton Road farm that the DeLand's history of Jackson County calls choice wheat raising land so i guess that's how you chose your property back then you're like oh that land's gonna be real nice for wheat raising (laughs) it's worth a lot so jacob was apparently a millionaire at the time according to some accounts so there's a lot of confusion and suspicion if he was a millionaire during that time that's a shit ton of money that is a lot of money a lot of money so apparently he was a millionaire so he had a million dollars a thousand acres of land, a valuable herd of cattle, and property and livestock in Texas, which we all know, you know, back in the 1800s, that made you very fancy. Um, most accounts say that Jacob was an ornery, tight-fisted, and untrusting of banks and lawyers kind of guy. Um, but he was wear- married to a, a nice... I'm having trouble. Married to a nice wife named Anna is what I'm trying to say. But he <laughs> married to a nice lady named Anna. And they had five children. Anna unfortunately died in 1859, six days after the birth of their son, Judd. So Judd was raised by his sister, Susan, and her husband, Daniel Holcomb, on their nearby farm um, until he was like 10. So, against their father's wishes, the sons Dayton and Byron, who were Civil War veterans, moved to Texas to raise sheep, but then Dayton died mysteriously in 1882. See, I feel like, okay, a lot of it's like there's a lot of mystery surrounding this. There's a lot of people just fucking dying, and a lot of people just fucking died in the 1800s. Um, But not to be insensitive about it necessarily, but all right. So, we're back at the scene. That I set so vividly earlier, right? Okay, it's nighttime, whatever. <laughs> and now there's a 16-year-old black farmhand named George and Julia Reese, a domestic servant um, who were living in the Crouch farmhouse. Um, and the 16-year-old farmhand George is the one who actually made a gruesome discovery, which was the aftermath of this horrible murder. So he said he was awakened in the night by thunder and thought he saw a man with a lantern standing outside. 
So he heard what sounded like a blow or like a gunshot, I guess, and then another and then another and then a muffled scream. So he climbed into a trunk and stayed there until morning, which is not very fucking helpful. And also, yeah. I think, sets this person up for some suspicion, right? It was like, I don't know, yeah, I just oh yeah. hid in his truck, right? So when he went downstairs and saw that everyone was dead, he ran to the nearest neighbor and they called the sheriff and whatever. So Jacob and everyone inside, Jacob, Polly, Henry, Eunice, all of these people who we have not actually established as characters in this narrative, <laughs> I will be honest about, um, were all murdered. And so uh, because the two servants or the two house workers were the only two people left in the uh, alive in the house, uh, they were jailed, obviously, because mm-hmm. people were like, you guys fucking did it. Uh, but they were uh, soon released for lack of evidence, actually. So they weren't sure due to lack of evidence, physical evidence, I'm assuming, and not having anybody else to blame it on. Uh it became up for question, I suppose. So the townspeople, you know, rumors start circulating. People start playing telephone, things like that. People are wandering. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you where you'd go for the local gossip. You probably just like walk down to the park or something and hear about the local gossip. But so some people came up with some theories. So some people thought the gypsies robbed the home always gypsies i guess in the 1800s it's like oh the gypsies like the hobo blame it on the hobo yeah exactly yeah (laughs) vagrants people who are we don't know them let's just string them up um and that you know there was a theory that maybe uh someone had bragged about how much money there was and that um polly had been or one of the sons had been uh uh, followed from the train station by a band of thieves. Um, others thought that it might have been the revenge of a farmhand that had previously been fired. Um, but there was a long list of suspects and there was not a lot of like promising, you know, conclusive evidence happening. So it was yeah. just kind of, you know, whatever. So um, some said that Jacob was planning to leave his entire fortune to Eunice's unborn child. And cut Judd in the hole comes out of his will. Others say that Byron had hired a band of Texas cowboys to kill his father to resolve a family dispute over the inheritance. So we've got a lot of, you know, confusion and whatever. But Judd and Daniel Holcomb were charged with the murders um, in 1884. And the story became evidently more intriguing after this point. So Susan Holcomb, who is the wife uh, of Daniel was found dead in her bed um, in January. Um, Some said that she was force-fed rat poison. Others say she killed herself because she didn't want to testify against her husband. But the coroner said her heart just gave out. And then two days later, a person named James Foy, the Holcomb's farmhand, was found shot in the head. So this is another, you know, it's like, what's happening here, dude? Like, this whole whole town's falling apart. Um, And the farmhand, so James Foy, talked too freely, apparently, about the Crouch murders in local saloons um, and had even shot a Union City man who claimed Foy was connected to the case. Sorry about the case. Uh, (laughs) But that death was ruled a suicide. So there was a trial 
Um, and 145 witnesses were called to testify, but they only offered circumstantial evidence and none could positively say who killed Jacob, um, the whites, and Polly. So all these people. Oh, my God. Um, and then finally, on January 10th, 1885, the jury returned a verdict of not guilty after deliberating for about an hour. Um, and no one was ever brought to trial. No one was ever arrested or charged um, in any of this. So, yeah. That's why it makes good television. Because this is like a soap opera, a murderous soap opera. Yeah. So those were, in my opinion, all the boring details. Here's the most exciting detail. So the Jackson County Sheriff at the time called in a photographer from Ann Arbor to come photograph Eunice White's eyes because he thought that the image of the killer might still be reflected in them. So they tried, but the photographer said, too much time had passed for it to work so that's why it it didn't end up working so what yeah okay so you get killed and your eyes are going to take like a screenshot of who murdered you maybe that's what that is the craziest thing that's what that sounds like to me but that doesn't make any sense and that was the jackson county sheriff eugene d winnie so yeah he needs to reevaluate things i don't think that's how it works I don't know. Maybe they were. That was like a running theory at the time. That like when you yeah. die, maybe they're just like I don't know. Let's just like try it, man. That is very odd. I don't know. But this also became like a tour, not a tour, well, like a kind of a dark tourist destination too. So like thousands of people uh, came to visit just because they wanted to see the crime scene. So the Michigan mm-hmm. Central Railroad reportedly halted trains there to accommodate those who wanted to see the scene of the crime. So they were like, all right, we're going to move. Like, here's a special train going right there. So Weird. that's crazy. Yeah. And then dozens of amateur detectives de- descended on Jackson after news spread of the murders. So a lot of people like us are probably like, I'm going to go figure this out. Like, let's go check it out. Um, but one of these amateur detectives was actually shot in the chest while walking from the Crouch home over to Horton. So he survived and said that Judd Crouch was the shooter. So this is, again, you know, kind yeah. of tying into the second case, or whatever. but that was never able to be proven. So there's a lot of very strange things. The last thing, or one of the last things being that... Uh, in 1886, three bloody shirts were found buried in the stump of a tree on the Holcomb property. It was never proven that they belonged to the killers. But that's, I mean, why do you have three bloody shirts like that? Like, that's pretty weird. So, I don't know, man. But now to the haunting, right? So, all that crazy stuff. We don't really know what's going on. But now, uh, if we move our scene over to the Reynolds Cemetery of Spring Arbor Township, we have the scene of the haunting, which uh, people believe that the spirits of Jacob and Eunice, uh, who were two of the people killed in the Crouch murders, um, and the faint sound of crying has been heard, um, along with the ghostly floating mist over gravestones um, near the marker of Jacob. Um and then where those mists seems to disappear into the plot. So uh, apparently on the anniversary, which is November 22nd, they meet up. So 
you can apparently see Eunice rising from her grave in St. John's Cemetery and meeting up with Jacob in the wee hours at his gravesite in the Reynolds Cemetery. So we have traveling ghosts. Yeah. Is what's going on here. Yeah. Interesting. That's one thing that, like, I've always been, you know, and I'll say it time and time again, like, when there's, like, some sort of, like, violence or you died unexpectedly or you feel like your time was cut short, like, the, I feel personally those are the folks that are going to be lingering around and hunting a cemetery. So, um, you know, with all of these violent acts that were going on within the family and all of that unknown going on in the family, there's going to be some unrest, definitely, when, when you pass in a situation like that. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Definitely very interesting. I don't know if there is any landmarks. I think when Rusty, before we went on our, went into the investigation of the Michigan Theater, Rusty took us on a little tour around Jackson. And there mm-hmm. was one spot I think we drove by. I think it was a house or something. Yeah. So something is still there. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. What. I believe it was like this like older brick house. That's what I that think too. That was like a boarding home or something at some point or like like dorms or some sort of like communal living space or something at the at the time I think right but if you want to look more into that um you can always check out John Robinson's Haunted Michigan series on 99.1 wfmk.com or um there's a lot of interesting search results that chop up or show up if you uh, Google that one as well. Or ask Rusty Jones from Central Michigan Paranormal Investigations, too. We're going to have him on in a couple episodes. Um, but you should ask them if you want more information on the Crouch murders. So, all right. So the second tale, uh, the, um, the second, I think, this is my personal, I don't know. I don't want to say favorite. Like, I feel so gross saying that i don't want to say favorite but like the the story the unsolved mystery that i find most intriguing um personally in this list is is sometimes people call this the saint Aubin street massacre mm-hmm. or the evangelista murders um this is pretty interesting so let's start by telling you a little bit about benny evangelista who is kind of the main character in this story so benny evangelista was a sicilian immigrant and was also the founder of his own religion, um, known as the Union Federation of America. So the church, or the cult as some people call it, was founded 25 years prior to his murder, um, when Benny first arrived in Philadelphia. So spoiler alert, Benny is going to get murdered in Detroit. Um, In 1926, he wrote a 200-page Bible entitled The Oldest History of the World Discovered by Occult Science. So Benny claimed to be or to have been guided by various deities from several religions who would only speak to him between midnight and 3 a.m. Soon after settling in Detroit, Benny began holding services in his home. Um, a self-proclaimed herbalist and healer, Benny also used his home as a treatment center for his followers, charging around $10 for his services. So I want to get a little bit more into like what he was doing here. So the interesting thing it seems like he's been called in my research here like a hex man i don't know i've never Mm -hmm. heard that term before but um so what he would do is like he he was a realtor and a landlord 
But like he on the side would like supplement his income by like selling herbs, hexes and spiritual remedies. And I guess he like also performed chants, dances and then animal sacrifices for paying customers. Um, and so this kind of sounds a lot like some kind of like voodoo or like hoodoo mm-hmm. type practices yeah. or whatever. Um, but yeah, so he is kind of into that stuff, whatever, ran this church, sort of. I guess if you could call it that. Um, Weirdest thing. So he had this space inside his property or like his house or whatever. Or this, I don't know, temple, if if you'd call it that, whatever. Um, And there was like this basement chamber, right, where he did all of this, these practices and stuff. Um, And so this is where he mixed up spells, hexes, potions, and carried carried out magical sacrifices. Um, There was an altar... Uh, with knives, bottles, and jars, copies of his own book. Um, and another thing that, like, people, it, like, came out afterwards is he had these, like, weird, I don't remember if they were, like, paper mache. I'm pretty sure they're paper mache. Like, paper mache, peep, like, human figures, like, floating around, like, hanging from the ceiling and, like, floating around. It's very weird. Very fucking weird. That's terrifying. Yeah. So, super strange. So, July 3rd, 1929, we discover that Benny Evangelista is dead. And the police come and they find him sitting behind his desk in this ritual space, whatever, his office room, whatever. Um, And his hands are neatly folded in his lap like he's praying. But his head is on the ground next to his feet. Um, so somebody cut off his head and it was sitting next to his what? feet. What? Upstairs, they find Mrs. Evangelista um, and their children. So Mario, who was an 18-year-old baby, um, Angelina, who was seven, Margaret, who was five, and Janine, who was four. Miss Evangelista was found in her bed with Mario. Her head had been severed and Mario's skull was crushed. Um, across the hall, Angelina and Margaret were found in their twin beds massacred, so it doesn't really specify mm-hmm. how. Um, and on the floor next to the beds was the body of Jean, who was also dead. So everyone, all of his, his wife, his children, everyone in this house is dead. Um, but we don't know who has done this. So we're like, this is, they're like, this is pretty spooky. This is weird. Don't like this. Um, but the case goes cold. Then we see the beginning of a very strange string of kind of cult-esque killings Mm -hmm. that would go on in Detroit from 1929 to 1932. Um, So one of the major suspects in the Evangelista murders uh, was a man by the name of Robert Harris. Um, And Robert Harris was also the founder of his own cult in Detroit um, and had already been in jail for murder before the time of any of this. So on November 20th, 1932, police found the body of James S. Smith tied to a crudely built altar and stabbed through the heart with a silver knife. Harris claimed that Smith was a willing sacrifice and had offered himself as such. However, the fact that Harris had to knock Smith out with a wagon axle before stabbing him threw suspicion over that claim. What? Oh, I was just saying, oh my. Oh, <laughs> Knock him out with a wagon wheel? Yeah. 
right? Was not like, expecting that. No, me neither. I'm like, that didn't really come out of nowhere. It's like, oh, well, you know, we were going to believe him, except for the fact that you smashed him over the head with a wagon axle. Like, what is even, but oh it's, this is, I don't know. We, we're, uh, wagon axles aren't a thing in our world right now. I don't know. <laughs> it's such a foreign <laughs> object to us. Um, but yeah, so that threw off the whole thing. He's like, all right, well, we don't believe him. So after he was arrested, Harris declared himself to be a king and revealed his plans to kill several more people, including the mayor of Detroit at the time. Although Harris had originally confessed to the evangelista killings too, um, there was apparently a set of fingerprints found at the scene uh, that did not match his. So he was quickly ruled not the evangelista killer. Um, And they thought that he must probably just be wanting to promote his own religion, which there seemed to have been a lot of people trying to promote (laughs) religions then at that time. No better advertisement than being, hey, I killed these people. Right. But like what kind of hereditary ass shit is that? Like, oh, these are my people flying through my ceiling. Like, whatever. Crazy shit is that? Um, but yeah, so nobody has ever been convicted, but I'm still, I'm personally kind of fascinated by Benny Evangelista. Um, so there's a couple things, a couple other things that they found, obviously, when they were investigating the crime scene, um, of the Evangelista murders. Um, they found several pieces of women's undergarments, um, each tagged with the name of its owner. Um, that reveal the so-called mystic indulged practices of voodooism, according to the police, or devil worship. But such Uh such garments um, can apparently lead to the finding of a missing person when they are properly handled by one versed in the mystic arts of that belief. So uh, I guess meaning you could like remote view somebody or something by holding their panties which i don't know that sounds like a whole i think they just attack my opinion i'm like what if they just found like some weirdo's panty stash and they're like yeah this is definitely like that's definitely what he's doing with this he's probably just a perv terrifying (laughs) yeah so there was a lot of mess the police i don't know they had a hard time uh not having the crime scene contaminated and whatever so it just there are several theories, but once again, no concrete people. So it is; it remains mm-hmm. uh, one of Michigan's unsolved mysteries. So the uh, home where all of this took place was demolished several years ago. So it's an empty lot right now. You can look it up on Google Maps. Um, but it is a spot that people say is super haunted. And it comes up if you look um, different like haunted Michigan sites, haunted places to go. It always shows up uh, on the list. There's nothing there, but I guess you could go stand uh yeah in the corner or, or like stand in the lot and like <laughs> see what happens i suppose but um apparently people say sometimes they see a headless man walking around the lot and then he just vanishes so i don't know we'll have to see maybe we'll check it out someday maybe not it's unsolved mystery will unsolved. we go will we will we not the next unsolved mystery from michigan um is kind of famous because there's actually like a movie sort of based off it and like maybe this is one you can help me out with jessica because i've seen jeepers creepers several times but i don't even really remember my god okay so this one like i'm i'm pretty familiar with because jeepers creepers is probably like if i had to pick my favorite slasher it's the jeepers creepers guy 
he's terrifying. He's fascinating. I love him. I love the music. I he has love the all. idea of it. <laughs> and Jeepers Creepers, like, I... Oh, my God. So it's actually all three of the movies, for anyone who hasn't seen it, um, that is one whole time period. So that is one whole season of the Jeepers Creepers. So all three movies are actually during one segment of his time. And the movie starts with like his existence a, what was that like his existence yes okay yeah, so he like he's awake for like 23 days i think and then like he sleeps for like another like 30 years or something oh and everyone's freaking out on facebook i don't know if anyone's seen it yet but they're like oh my god 2020z like <laughs> you know the date from when the jeepers creepers movie came out so like if that is like a thing like fuck hopefully like <laughs> my body is like not appealing like i you know i i have bad vision i can't <laughs> sing like i don't have good vocal cords like please don't take anything from me no <laughs> parts to scrap so the movie starts with you know a car driving down this like country road that looks very michigan-ish um just like michigan or ohio where it's just like farmland and these two younger kids that are a couple see this like creepy truck at this abandoned building dragging what kind of looks like a body wrapped in a sheet. The person or creature dragging the body realizes that somebody spots him and chases that car. Um, now, an Unsolved Mystery episode was based off of this case. Um, a Coldwater High School, I think, is where it was, where, yes. it was, where it took place. Yep. And the intro to the Unsolved Mystery episode is basically the same thing. There's this young couple driving down this country road, and you can put the two side by side, and it's like almost frame for frame the same exact thing <laughs> based off of this Michigan case is the intro to the Jeepers Creepers story. Um, so it's this young couple. They see this person at this abandoned building. Um, you know, like, I think it was like a bloody sheet. I don't think it was like a necessarily like, you know, like a body wrapped in a, a sheet or something. And they they see this, and that was part, like, that was the introduction. So even though it's just kind of like a short little segment from, you know, what, like, the actual story was, but, like, it's kind of like the idea that sparked the Jeepers Creepers movies because that's how the whole series of those movies begins is almost the exact play-by-play to the introduction of the Unsolved Mysteries episode based on this case, which is so fascinating to me. Yeah. So there's like two things here. You're right. You're totally right. The true story uh, is about Coldwater High School counselor Marilyn Depew um, disappearing on Easter of 1990 with neighbors immediately pointing a suspicious finger at her husband, Dennis. Um, thanks to a marriage that became loveless and constantly argumentative, uh, Marilyn filed for divorce. Uh, angry and hostile, Dennis beat her in full view of their three children and coaxed her into going with him into their van, stating he wanted to go to the hospital, but they never arrived. Dennis shot her in the back of the head, wrapping her body in a sheet and threw the body into the van and dumped her behind an abandoned church. He then drove south to the schoolhouse to dispose of the bloody sheet. A brother and sister were out driving past the schoolhouse and they happened to see Dennis unloading the blood-soaked sheet from the van. They attempted to get the van's license plate number to no avail. So what you're talking about here, the case was featured on Unsolved Mysteries. And this was a year, about a year after this happened. So March 20th, 1991. And Dennis, so the murderer, was watching the episode at his home in Dallas um, 
and apparently he was calling himself Hank Queen. Um, so like an alias, whatever. I, I kept seeing that as Hawk Queen for a while. And I was like really trying to understand why this guy was calling himself Hawk Queen. And now I just realized it's Hank Queen. So that makes a lot more sense. Um, he tried to flee when he saw. He's like, oh, shit, I'm fucked. Um, but after a high speed chase that went into Mississippi, police caught him um, and disabled his vehicle. But instead of giving himself up, he committed suicide in order to avoid capture. So we know who it was, but there was no, we were never able yeah. to prosecute him, right? That's interesting that, like, they mentioned the license plate, too, because even in the Jeepers Creepers movie, the license plate of the Jeepers Creepers van is, like, eating you or something. Hmm. Like, so, like, the license plate in the movie has, like, its own important role, too. So that's really fascinating. It's I just another little dot connected between the two cases. Or stories i guess so weird but the schoolhouse so you had said something about the schoolhouse on that episode mm-hmm. of unsolved mysteries too so that schoolhouse they used the actual schoolhouse um where the brother and sister drove by so that is the jeepers creepers schoolhouse in cold water uh there so it i guess it caught fire a couple years ago too but somebody put it out it's still there um, so if you want to check this out, it's the corner of South Snow Prairie Ro- Road, excuse me, and uh, West Southern Road. The church I want to go really bad, I, but we at should. the same time, I'm also super freaked out. <laughs> I, I know. It does, like, make me feel weird, too. Like, I do want to see it. Like, I just want to go check it out just to see. But, yeah. Ugh. So the church has been demolished. There's, a like, just a flat plot of land, and that was where her body was discovered. But um, the schoolhouse is still there. So... Yeah. Interesting. Pretty weird. So, and they, so you know, I think the movie, the Jeepers Creepers movie took some inspiration. Obviously, I mean, well, clearly, obviously, but, you know, like some yeah. inspiration from the uh, Unsolved Mysteries video, too. So you can check that out. It is a Google yeah, so search away. Interesting. Because, like, that movie, like, series is so fascinating because, like, it, it looks like it could be anywhere, but, like, when you live in Michigan and you're watching that movie, you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> too close this is to totally home. Michigan. This is too close to home. And then, like, it's so creative, too, because the way that it's filmed, you're not really sure what year it's taking place in. So it could be, like, at any time. Um, you know, like, it could be modern day, but, like, there's, like, older trucks. So it's, like, just in general kind of, um, you know, there's it's not dated, per se it could be taking place at any time frame so it's really fascinating and hopefully 2020 is not the year of the real jeepers creeper coming out and stealing our body parts so that he can live for another 30 years or whatever hopefully that doesn't happen i would much rather have um i don't know anything (laughs) than that yeah oh my god oh my god but who knows it's 2020 there's not really any surprises left um nothing surprises me anymore so Jeepers. i guess if it happens it happens and hopefully Peepers. he doesn't want my eyes <laughs> creepers i don't know i'll protect you it'll be okay okay we'll be fine <laughs> so the last uh technically unsolved mystery uh from michigan that we're going to cover today is uh the Goodhart murders as it's uh I guess most commonly referred to um, here in Michigan, at least. This is one that's very popular. There's a lot of books on it. Um, 
things like that. Um, so and when we talk about the Goodhart murders, we're referring to the Robins or well, the Robinson family murders. This is a hard one for me because I'm like wanting to say Robinson, but it's mm-hmm. Robinson. Robison murders, yes. So in the summer of 1968, Richard Robison and his wife Shirley, uh, who lived in Detroit, took their four children to their holiday cabin. Uh, cabin. 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 Took them to their cabin. Cabin. Took them to their holiday cabin, um, which was located next to Lake Michigan uh, in Goodhart, Michigan. Um, Just weeks into their holiday, horror came to their door when all six were brutally murdered in the isolated spot by a gunman who was able to use the seclusion to slip away unseen. The bodies of the Robinsons lay dead for almost a month before they were discovered. Um, So it was actually uh, a neighbor who uh, had complained about that there was just such an awful smell coming from this cabin that prompted uh, people to investigate it. And unfortunately, when they looked inside, they found all six members of the family dead. Um, So almost 50 years later, technically, these murders are still unsolved. um, But there's always been a prime suspect in this case um, and somebody who's always kind of made a lot of sense so when the police began to close in on him, uh, he actually committed suicide um, instead of being apprehended. So I think that kind of uh, leads to his suspicion, in my opinion. So oh, yeah. there was some money missing. Um, and the saddest part, I guess, about all of this is that the uh, the cabin was in such bad condition after this, and the bodies had decomposed so intensely in there, they had to just completely uh, demolish the cabin. Jeez. There was no saving it. Um, so the six members of the family had been shot using two different weapons, which was very strange. Um, and Richard Robinson and his young daughter Susan had also been beaten with a heavy blunt object, which they decided was most likely a hammer. Um, mm-hmm. A shattered front window suggested that the first shots may have been fired from outside of the cabin before the gunman came in to finish the job. So there was, you know, a lot of, like, work done to, like, plot this all out. There was this book that somebody lent me recently, too, and there's all these, like, diagrams of, like, where Mm -hmm. everybody was and where the shots came out and everything. But um, the first tasks they, you know, had was obviously to try and establish, like, a, a motive. Like, why did this happen, right? So Richard Robinson had been portrayed as just a wealthy guy, a husband, a father, but there have also been suggestions over time of like underhanded dealings in his advertising business, um, which uh, some people could have been angry about some shady liaisons with secretaries uh, within his company and a possible background of mental illness, some said, Um, but it's difficult to know how substantiated any of those reports are. but whoever did it uh at least probably knew i think like how to get to them who they were so clearly yeah. like you'd think it was somebody like right near so yeah. go ahead i just remembered that so okay so my uncle's friend um is in that area often and like lives there seasonally and she had told me about this before and this plot of land according to her is that it's just woods now um, they never rebuilt a house yeah. in that area. It's just woods. And she says that it's just super creepy and just like a yucky feeling. And like, 
I want to say, like, there's, like, some sort of, like, it might just be, like, a local legend where, like, if you, like, drive by on the side of the road, like, through the tunnel of trees in that area or something, like, you could see, like, um, an apparition on the side of the road where that house once stood. Uh, but at least according to her, the house was never rebuilt. It's just leveled out, and now it's just woods, it's just woodlands. Yeah, that's, oh, gosh. Technically... This one's still unsolved, even though the prime suspect. Uh, yeah. Usually, if you are being suspected for murder and you choose to take your own life, there's you a good guilty. chance you're probably guilty as fuck. But Absolutely. Um, there's a good chance. Um, but yeah, that's just crazy, though. So he actually, uh, Joseph Scalaro who was the man who shot himself, uh, was actually discovered to uh, have been embezzling money from the magazine Mm -hmm. um, and his boss during the time that the family was on vacation. And so some people, so he stole like $60,000 or something like this. So they thought, some people thought that probably what happened is he went and killed the whole family before they could figure out that he had taken Mm -hmm. that money. Yeah. Um, because there had been a variety of phone calls, I guess, back and forth between the two of them, too. And then there was a pair of shoes that they had later found that matched up to a footprint near the crime scene. But they he had, mm-hmm. like, clean. They were clean and looked like they had never been worn, so they couldn't attach it to him. And they also found, like, he had these shell casings um, from a shooting range that he was shooting at. And they it was the same kind of shells that they found at the scene, yeah. too. Um, but... You know, whatever. So, but then he killed himself. So, you know, whatever. So, who knows? But I think that people, uh, like, a lot of times, too, like, when I was researching this and whatever, it's like people are saying, oh, no, this is solved. This is solved. It's not cold anymore. We know exactly what happened. Um, which I guess, you know, it's just, they, they're saying it's like, oh, it's just never got prosecuted properly yeah. or whatever. Which yeah, is exactly. True. So, whoever did the crime never got to do the time. <laughs> right. Exactly, but so yes, so just a few unsolved mysteries from the mitten here. So I hope you enjoyed them, and thank you guys so much for joining us for the Mystic Mitten Radio Show. I hope it was worth your while. In our next episode, we'll be talking about all of the times we've been touched by ghosts. So join us next week for that. In the meantime, follow us on social media, check out our merch store, wash your fucking hands, and stay spooky. We will see you next time. <laughs>